In a world where workplaces are toxic for people and humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules, how do leaders who care create enlivened workplace cultures? This show has the answers. On Make Work Human, we discuss how companies can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. The path to how lies in unbreakable connections, clear purpose, and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old mindsets about the world of work. I'm Mo Carrick, and I'm a beekeeper, mother of adults, CEO, culture expert, award-winning entrepreneur, and best-selling author, and I'm joined on this show by my colleague and friend, awesome coach, mother of a toddler, award-winning creative, DEI facilitator, and millennial, May Rats. Together, we tackle teams that gossip, leaders who are bad for people, parenting while working, belonging, and so much more with an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for the human beings who work there. We are on a mission to stop the suck and restore humanity to work. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud. Good morning. Good morning, Mo. Good morning. How are you? You know, I'm okay. Or mm-hmm. as they say in the world of therapy, I'm fine, frustrated, <laughs> insecure, neurotic, and emotional. How are you? I said it yesterday in our team meeting, but I feel a little deflated. There's a lot going on in the world for some context for everybody listening. This is the end of the week of another school mass shooting a whole bunch of fourth graders and so we're feeling a little heavy at the end of this week let's put it lightly I guess so we've decided that the question oh go ahead well it's the two-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder right and and many other dynamics yeah yeah and the rest of the world whatever else is happening out there yeah um so the question that we have today is how do we help the people we work with when the world is on fire we're saying the world on fire in a loose term it is also partially on fire, but we mean it in many other ways. Mo, start us off. Well, I think it's such a great question and something I've been thinking about so much this week. And I feel like it's increasing. As a CEO, it's increasing in terms of how often I'm thinking of that question for my own people, including you, May, um, but the rest of the team as well. I'm hearing it from clients as well. Um, both in terms of like recent events or, or um, should I say like public events such as mm-hmm. the war in Ukraine, the recent Uvalde shooting in Texas, the you know persistent acts of racism, the, the Asian um, murders in a, in a church, it goes on and on, climate change. Um, I, I'm hearing it from clients as well, like how, do I, how am I supposed to show up and lead with my people in regards to, to these pieces? And it tends to be, I hear from clients sometimes like two extremes one is i just pretend that that's not happening or like i keep it <laughs> i don't pretend but like i keep it in a box you know as though they're coming to work as a refuge and i don't have mm-hmm. to necessarily address it because they're dealing with it at home all the time or do i you know honor and acknowledge you know what's happening and if so how do i how do i do that so i think it's a it's a really good topic for me what i've been sitting with especially this week once So I didn't know the news of the shooting this week until after I was done with all my meetings. And so the way I learned of the news actually was a Slack message from you, which, you know, as my employee said, 
I'm going home to hug my child because of the news of the shooting. And my, you know, my initial feeling in seeing that Slack message was, oh no, we've had another one. And here it is already impacting my team who are feeling the need to go home and take care of someone that they love. And so I, of course, went online and looked to see, you know, what, what had happened and felt the just gut punch of the impact of that news on me, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, on 21 people, 19 of whom were children being killed. And so it, right away, it started for me, like, what should I do about this? Like, obviously I reacted to your tap, your slack, mm -hmm. like, good job, you know, take care of your people. And, but I also started thinking about what else do I want to do with this news? How am I going to integrate it? And then am I going to mention it to my clients who I'm meeting with in 15 minutes? Am I going to mention it to my team in any more of a format? Um, how am I going to process this? So it's, it's real for me, both as a coaching consultant to organizations, but also in our own practice. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in those two tactics. One is like, I don't know. <laughs> the other one is like, yep, we're going, we're diving in. There's no like middle ground. And maybe that's a reaction to there not being much of a middle ground that it feels like to me personally, that there's not very much space between events to like take a deep breath and deal with what just happened that before another one comes, you know, it feels a little bit like being in the, in the ocean, you're like gulping for air, but are you, are you seeing a benefit with our clients on one of those tactics? Like, should work be a refuge where we don't have conversations like that? Are you seeing that pay off? <laughs> are you seeing it pay off where it's like, we got to pull the brake on the train real quick. We got to do this. I think we have to talk about it. I, I don't think there's, I don't think it's possible to segment it. And of course, you know, this is an underpinning value of our, of all of our work where we, you know, we say, people make companies great and that a brave space workplace is one where people can bring their full selves to work mm -hmm. and do great things together. And so mm -hmm. if, you know, if we're experiencing a trauma from news or an event that happened in our town or our nation or our world, we can't just cut it off like a limb and leave it at home. Now, I believe that's true about everything. You know, if we have a sick mm -hmm. relative or we have a pet who's dying or, you know, lots of other things also are impossible to segment. But I think the world of work has acted for decades as though that's exactly what we should do, which mm -hmm. is we should like turn that switch off and leave that at home. Um, and I and I think COVID, you know, has turned that on its head for good around any myth that we held that people had a box that they could close the lid on when mm -hmm. they came to work. So I don't think that that works. However, I think a lot of businesses and a lot of people leaders in particular really struggle with the area between those two extremes. So the two extremes being like, I don't talk about it and I just assume that people are here to do a job right and that they're mm -hmm. that they're getting the support they need on these other issues outside of them or that i stop my whole business and all we do is process you know current events or tragedies and and then and then mm -hmm. we're a therapy group and mm -hmm. you know <laughs> that, that i don't think that's helpful either um mm -hmm. because i think it causes people to feel um overexposed more it's another repeated microaggression around the assault of having to base and process these events perhaps in a timeline that doesn't work for them you know mm -hmm. so i think we have to find a middle road i, I think mm -hmm. we, i think and, and i think the middle road is really variable based on each leader and each human what are some slight instead of 
pulling the brake on the train and just stopping the trip, what are some subtle nods that you've seen that can hint to like, we're dealing with this and we are also doing business? What are some tactics that you're finding are useful for a leader to just nod to their people that like, I haven't forgotten. We're doing, I see you, I get it. We're doing it. And also thanks for coming to work. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, to- it totally does. Um, and I'm curious, I mean, I'll answer the question for sure, but I'm curious about like your experience because, you know, we've worked together long enough that we've been through multiple macro and micro issues of the world being on fire that we've navigated together and kept the business open, you know, throughout. So I'd be curious about like, what have you seen us do as a company or me do as a leader that's been helpful um, mm-hmm. or not? Very good answer. <laughs> Did he like to turn that right back on you? <laughs> solution to well, every coaching in its best people. <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, the, all right. So while you ponder what's worked for you, like I think that like in, when I think about your question of like, what do I see working? I think there's two things that pop up for me. One is like for leaders to notice what's happening inside of them mm-hmm. first, right? And like this recent event for me is is a powerful one because I'm all stirred up. You know, I'm, I'm um, and it's gonna be hard for me not to be emotional, but I've been an advocate for gun control for my whole career. Um, and as a younger person, I was, I identified as a pacifist, you know, and, um, but these, these guns, these AR-15s are, um, have no place in times of peace and in places of peace, they're weapons of war. And so I've been anti those guns for forever. And I'm also really, really troubled personally right now as the mother of two grown men, three grown men really, um, with my stepson and watching who are the perpetrators of the use of these AR-15s being mostly young men, mostly white. Um, and I'm so I'm sitting with with that personally around a tremendous disruption that connects, as you know, to my TED talk on women's role in healthy masculinity and what we are not talking about, about how do we help men process their really hard feelings of disenfranchisement and anger and, you know, and all of that. And so I, that, that scares me. And then the gun thing, the AR-15s being allowed to be purchased um, are devastating for me. So for me as a leader, I feel like I've had to get my head around fairly quickly, like, Mo, what do you, what are you feeling about this? What loss, what grief, what fear, and what are you going to do with those feelings? you know, at home and in community, which for me has included like talking to my family, getting more educated for me about what is it I am going to do? Where am I going to take a stand publicly? Um, and where am I going to, dis- where am I going to channel my energy and, and frustration? So like, for me, I feel like I had to do, I have had to do that work before I could be much use for helping you all process what's happening. The other piece that that has been important, I think for me and what I see work well for leaders is to get their head and heart around the fact that their employees are impacted by these things, whether they want them to be or not, and that the impact is different. So I remember, for example, May, when the Asian shooting happened in California, not too long Mm -hmm. ago, I remember being aware in our staff meeting, you mentioned it in a staff meeting, I didn't mention it. And I realized that I didn't know that news. And why did I not know that news and you did? Well, probably because I'm not, I don't identify as Asian and I don't have to know that news. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. it didn't affect my people in the same way. And so um, I think that it it's important for us to know that people are impacted differently by different kinds of news, news that we may not even notice. 
-hmm. And when we learn about it, we are obligated to like at least acknowledge that is impacting you. I hear you. That is impacting you. One of the most poignant examples of how you've navigated really well is when I came back from maternity leave and the world was, uh, I, I hadn't been out of my house in six, seven weeks. And I was like a completely different person when I went in, right? Like when I went into baby hiding, nothing had really changed. There was like weird news, but nothing had nothing really happened. Yeah. So then when I came out on March 17th, I was like, um, hello. I like showed up to a team meeting. I remember being like, do I still have a job? Do I still have a job here? Do all of us have jobs? Is this still a company? What are we doing? Hi. What's your name? <laughs> My name is May and I used to work here. Do I still work here? And uh, everything was cool. I remember it being very calm and collected. And I essentially remember, I remember you essentially being like, get a paddle. Like we are in a boat together and the ocean is drying up and we got, it's time to go right now. And I was like, okay, got it. Like the calmness paired with rigorous honesty around how hard it was going to be, I was thankful for. Because I was like, do I need to start looking for another job? You need to tell me right now. Or are we in it? You know, like how hard do we have to sprint? And the fact that you didn't sugarcoat it for me was, uh, I was thankful for. That helped me process then like what we were actually, the depth of the muck that we were in. And that also we were not done, you know? Well, and you then how hard that must have been for you because you also <laughs> had a brand new baby. Like I had a brand new baby. I had a, a very, very depressed partner too. Yeah. I had a very depressed partner. It was like COVID. My, yeah, my baby was like great, but a new human, like <laughs> new humans should get more parents, just to be clear. They should not just be given one or two. <laughs> too little. Um, but yeah, I think the rigorous honesty and the calmness around like, yes, this is the reality. And maybe we might be not in business soon, but we're not going down without a fight you know, and like, welcome to fight. Uh, I was really thankful for it. And that has continued that I think the thing I felt the most was that we are a united front. Like one of us is going to take a larger hit than the other for sure, because it's somebody, it's someone's business and I work for that someone, but together we are a united front inside of this situation and we are going to do it together. Um, which has become one of you and I's like rallying cries is that we're in the boat together. Like we're in this boat together. And that I think has carried me through a lot of really hard things. I actually don't need to process all the things in a staff meeting. I just know that if I show up and I'm like, it is not great out here, y'all. <laughs> but everybody else will be, is in the boat with me. They've got something else that's very hard for them. You know, we're not ignoring people's hard things. And I think if it did stop the train and we stopped business for the entire day to process, I would not bring things, you know, like that's just too much exposure, like you're saying. And it's too much uh, like stop, go, stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. It's much right. easier to like process and integrate while we're in the flow of doing the thing, which brings me back to our last conversation about that. There are more than money reasons to go to work. Yeah. And one of them is community. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize this, but during COVID, like the very beginning parts of it, my partner, Sam, and I did not leave the house for so long. No one touched our baby except for us for four months. 
Um, not even the doctor, nobody, nobody touched her. It was just us. And later he expressed to me feeling very lonely because I was in a room, which I felt very sequestered. <laughs> like I was in a room working my tail off with you, but I was laughing and I was having community conversations with you. And it was hard, but we were in it together. And he wasn't having that experience because he wasn't working, you know, and he was just with this baby that was not laughing. And that has drawn me through too, is like, even when things are hard, we're going to show up to this meeting and we're going to see each other and something is going to be funny. You know, like something is going to make sense to us about what we're doing. And that has buoyed me through many things. So being honest, letting humor be there and being a united front. I think that piece about why we go to work of being supported and taking risks is is one part but the other half of that I would say is like being supported when things are really hard when it's like they don't I don't feel good the world feels scary you know so well I don't feel good and also I do think that there is a sanctity of work it's a term mm-hmm. my sister and I've often used uh, my sister has two disabled sons and she lost her first child to a stillbirth and her feeling about work she's retired now um but her feeling about work always was like, it's a place I can go and put one foot in front of the other and make progress, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that we need to, I think as leaders, we need to remember that we have work at hand and that it can be healing to mm-hmm. have a routine, to have a place to go amidst mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. And so if we just stop that and we stop everything, I think that that puts some of that at risk. And at the same time, acknowledging it and being real about what's happening and also understanding that what's happening for others, people might have different needs. Like mm-hmm. I think about mm-hmm. even, you know, this is of course the world being on fire, but also like little fires. And I'm reminded of, um, I mean, certainly like your story about coming back to work with such a new baby in COVID and having a business trying to repivot and the rest of the team being already knowing what's happening and you having to come up to speed and, you know, just so much there. And then it wasn't long after that, that we had George Floyd. We had a team member who um, had had to retreat to Canada during COVID and was not able to come back to the country, you know, um, of origin for some time. But I was also thinking about, do you remember when one of our team members had a series of incidents in their town around their pets ingesting marijuana, <laughs> right? And like, that was that, horrible. It's not funny. Yes, yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. It was, but it was like, it's yeah, not yeah. funny now to think about, but I think about how like, that's a crisis that's closer to home to someone. Yeah and, yeah. and it was, and it meant that he, on some days he was at work, but he also was like, my dog got poisoned twice yesterday from eating somebody else's rejected marijuana. Yeah. And I'm, I'm bereft. About Public that. service announcement. Keep track right. of your buds, y'all, because totally. they hurt your fluffy buds. Not exactly. so good. Right. Yeah. People are, you know, don't think about this in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. how marijuana is legal. But I think that there's like, so there's macro and micro levels yeah, of yeah. trauma and impact. And we have to recognize, I think, at work, that people are going to deal with that in different ways. And mm-hmm. um, to give people space to process it their own way. I'm reminded, May, as well, like, we know a lot of our clients have also had traumas that have happened, you know, in their workplace. We work in healthcare, we work in mm-hmm. schools. I'm reminded of a museum that we worked with at one time years ago. Um, it might have been before you joined, but they had a stabbing at work. They had um, a customer who came in and ah. assaulted an employee. There wasn't a death, but it, there was an intervention. Somebody grabbed the person and stuff. And, and the, the whole thing was processed by the client, um, you know, pretty well. They had a trauma team and everything. But about like three weeks later, we were doing a leadership 
experience and the leader of that team was in the leadership experience and brought up what they were still dealing with around mm. their own feelings of trauma from that event. And I needed, I, I, I needed to allow her to have some space to process that event, even though it took us off our agenda a little bit. Um, and I think that, and she was the only one that needed to process mm -hmm. it, but when she did process it, it helped her team. And I think this is sort of the discretion that leaders have to constantly calibrate is like, who needs what? And if one person needs one thing, am I going to bring the team into that? Am I going to segment that and help them get support alone? Um, but the point is like, I'm not going to pretend that this is not happening. Do you remember early on when <laughs> I think it was like very early when I had joined the company and you said these words to me, it's okay if it doesn't happen because we do not launch rockets. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh? All right. And I'm, I can hear your voice whenever things get really hard saying that it's like, is the thing that this team member is trying to process more important than this document that I'm trying to make right now. Yes. You know, can we take a minute? Can we pause so that that gets processed because we're not launching rockets. Right. Absolutely. Or cutting in, you know, we're cutting into patients and stuff. And even if we are like a lot of that can be postponed, can be navigated um, in different ways. And I'm reminded of like, so there's another issue that we haven't touched on. We've, we've, we've touched on it, but we haven't been as specific is that especially around the world being on fire, metaphorically and literally, there are groups that are disproportionately impacted by these yeah. news, by the news. And, you know, groups can be around dimensions of difference like race, around mm -hmm. gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or even location. Like I live in Oregon and we've had, um, I had a client who had, I think 30% of their employees were at, um, had to evacuate from a fire um, in the yeah. River Valley. And so we have like, there's disproportionate impact. And I think we have to also notice that. And I'm yeah. reminded of a white leader that I worked with, a white woman leader who was in a city very near the Milwaukee um, protests and what was happening around race after George Floyd's murder. They were in the financial services industry and her colleagues at a vice president level were national, they were nationally located. And so there was some discussion about the, these events, but for her and her team, they were much more primary. You know, offices had closed, employees were sequestering um, because of fear of violence. And so she actually had to really negotiate many more schedule changes and open forums and practical mm -hmm. intervention than anyone else in the company. And I think in that way, she felt really alone because it mm -hmm. was like it, everybody else knew the news, but nobody was feeling it as intensely as she was. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that it was powerful that her general manager recognized that and paid some special attention to her around how are you doing and how can I help you navigate the logistics even of the crisis that's happening very close to you totally. and, and the impact on the black people who work for you. I think too, like with a world that's more work hybrid, you know, and remote, it becomes even more important that everybody's news is different right now. <laughs> Your whole team has a different set of news. What is a better question to ask than how are you? Oh, thank you for asking that question. <laughs> how are you? Let's talk about why how, how are you is bad. Yes, sucky question. I also asked it to you in the beginning of the session. So here we are. <laughs> well, that's okay. Yeah. I answered you with the way we often answer it, which is like, I'm fine. You know, yeah. which, which the reason we joke about fine not meaning fine is that it's just, it's a question that almost always invites armor. Mm -hmm. How are you usually invites, well, how am I supposed to be? 
good, mm. great, fine, okay. And what we're really asking is more like, are you okay? And I think what we, it goes back to something that we talk a lot about in our firm, which is that questions, the best questions are ambiguous and personal. So rather than saying, how are you? I would ask something more specific to that individual or that group of people like, what is surfacing for you in regards to the news that we've all been seeing about the recent shooting in Texas? Mm -hmm. I want to take a few minutes in this staff meeting to acknowledge the traumatic events that have happened in one of our states and to create space for anyone who would like to comment, mm -hmm. right? Um, or to ask an individual, is there anything I can do to support you knowing what's happening in the meta environment? And reference what it is, the fire down south, the riots that happened, the this recent shooting, COVID-19, you know? So I think we have to ask better questions than how are you? And we also have to ask better questions than what can I do? Because mm -hmm. usually there's nothing you can do except listen. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think what we what we wanna try to get are, get at are questions that invite people to share what it is that's surfacing for them, even if it's very small, even if it's just a sentence or two, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's about their experience. That's how people feel seen. Um, and don't you don't you think the fear is actually that it's not very small what people are feeling? <laughs> yes. You say that, and then someone's like, "Thank you very much for asking." I actually have four hundred things to say about this, right. which um, you might be able to speak to because I'm on your team. But that's <laughs> I I hear that as a fear from some of our leaders that like I open that can of worms, and then what am I supposed to do? Because I'm not actually a therapist; I'm their boss. Yes. What is your advice then if the can gets opened? Well, earlier when we were talking, I was thinking about the role boundaries play in this, mm -hmm. right? And boundaries, I define boundaries the way that I've heard others define it, which is that boundaries define what's okay and what's not okay. And so we need to understand what's going to be okay in this situation. So for example, as a leader of my team, I am not a trained therapist. I was at one time in my life, but I'm not now. And so if one of you were to unpack or mention a trauma or family or origin issue that was beyond my scope, I would want to draw a boundary around that. And mm -hmm. I would do that by saying something like an empathy statement. Like let's say it was happening with us. I might say, gosh, May, that sounds really, really hard. I wanna just remind you of the resources that our company offers to support you and your partner or your family or whatever to get the help that you need. And I might even validate, like I've used resources like that in the past myself and they've been extremely helpful. So I can, I'm, I'm saying like, we're not gonna process this here. I'm not your therapist, but there is help. And I think the help might really support you. I think that's one, mm -hmm. one piece. The other piece is I think we have to trust people's own capacity to self-correct. Like the gig is up, like we know we're at work. Like, <laughs> You know, we know there's stuff to do. Yeah. And so it's not like we're going to just open up the can of worms and all of a sudden we're going to be in this, you know, because we're all thinking like this miasma of mess that we can't close. I think we all know like it's work. And I'll, I'll give you an example this week around the Texas trauma in every group I was with. I mentioned it in our LPP sessions, in my sessions with clients, I was working with Harbor Foods. I said, I want to acknowledge that I personally am sitting with some trauma and grief right now about the recent shooting event in Texas. And I wanted to create just a few moments if anyone else wants to share any of their feelings before we open, because it's certainly on all of our minds. That's all I said. I think in the LPP, we talked about it for four minutes. With my client, we talked about it maybe for six minutes. We did not, it did not digress to a political debate. We didn't get into gun lobby rights. It was really just done in such a way to validate, like if you're feeling a heaviness that is coming from the news, it's real. I did, mm -hmm. we did the same thing when the war in Ukraine 
broke out. Mm-hmm. So I think that part of what we do as leaders, we show up with clarity about why we're mentioning it. And then also with a boundary around we're mentioning it so that people can feel seen and acknowledge that this is real, but we're not going to make this into a psychoanalysis session right now. We're not, that's not our, that's not what we do at work. And then trust them and trust that whatever they bring up is like, that's their thing. That's their bit. And they're in charge of that. Yes. And if they get, if they get teary, if they get emotional, if they really do appear to reveal a trauma, then we support them as we would any other work circumstance around. um, They're not well right now and we need to help them. We, and you know, in a real crisis, if someone really has, for example, um, gets into a crying jag and can't stop or describes that they desire to harm themselves, we would intervene the same way we would in any mm-hmm. other such circumstance at work, which is, I'd like to recommend that we bring some help in for you right now. I'd like mm-hmm. you to go home and call your spouse or, you know, whatever. We're going to intervene in a way that draws boundaries around them, giving help they need, just like we would. I mean, yeah, if someone showed up with a broken leg to a meeting, you would be like, okay, wait, hold on. We're going to deal. Wait. <laughs> You're bleeding. Like, the bo- you your know? bone is sticking out and there's blood coming out. No, that's so true. Hold on, hold on. I love that example. I love that example. A friend of mine is epileptic and she describes having a seizure one time in a meeting, in a team meeting. And she's like, yeah. And let me just say that when I had that seizure, nobody ignored me. You know what I mean? She's like, everybody, they they made sure I didn't bite my tongue off. And then they called the ambulance because that's what you do when someone, and it's the same. It's like someone comes and they're emotionally burdened and they're having trouble gathering themselves. We get them help. Like a broken leg, bone sticking out. Very important right now. Um, yeah. That. So what I'm hearing is that like the risk is very high. Actually, people think that the risk is actually high to open the can, but actually the risk is very high for not opening the can. Because yeah. the risk that you run is that, Everybody in the room thinks either you don't care, uh, you agree with what happened, or the work is way more important than what's happening in the world, which means it's way more important than their trauma and feelings around it. So you might as well just open the can. Totally. Totally. Because that's a very big risk. Well, right. Or at least acknowledge the can. And also it shows that you're not (laughs) clueless. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is the other risk for leaders. It's like we have to be able to tune in to what's real for people. You know, yeah. otherwise we are seen as like really not being human and, yeah. le- you know, employees want of their leaders more than anything that they appear as human like them. That's how we build trust. So when we act like nothing happened, we appear robotic or not human or not like we have a heart. And um, so we don't need to be a ble- you know, the opposite of that is not to be a bleeding heart or to try to therapize, but instead to just show up in that messy middle yeah i'm struck by that because of all of these the way that ceos have decided to announce how they're going to deal with politics inside of their company um which feels similar to me of like mm-hmm. how much we're going to talk about the thing mm-hmm. and i think your idea about boundaries and setting you know like guardrails around that situation is important because i was reflecting also about our conversation about why i come to work as a millennial and if i get a whiff of like, oh, we don't care about people here, <laughs> right? I'm, gonna, I'm either going to ask you a question about that because I know you, or if if it's a new boss, I'm going to start looking on Indeed, you know, because yeah. I'm like, oh, we don't care about people here. Okay, great. I don't even need to ask a question about that. If I'm a new employee, I'm just like, oh, we don't. And we often say that culture is how we do things here. And I would also argue that it's how we don't do things here. Um, and then when you say like, oh, we're not going to talk about that, or 
we're not going to talk about that can here because this is work that there's actually a much larger message there it's like we're really, not, we don't care about you that's powerful me the culture is also about how we how we do not do things here and you reminded me of maybe a nice place to close which is that the i think oftentimes when there are world on fire type events in the macro environment i think a lot of times companies do go first to what are they going to say publicly right because they're mm-hmm. trying to navigate their brand message in a way that makes sense and they want to do the right thing but they're always on the precipice of looking like they're just doing it for you know to sell more things <laughs> right or to do the politically correct thing and so i think a safe lane for many of us is start internally start with taking care of your people in a way that is in in sync with your values yeah and then together as people have felt seen in that craft how do we want to publicly stand for for this and it may be that we don't it may be we're not going to render an opinion on this or it may be that we do in a lot of ways or maybe we change policy but like i think that comes after mm-hmm. we've done the work internally totally what a great way to close thank you mo Have thank a good you day. enjoyed this conversation you too Bye.